0: Support for Coffee Table comes from Pier 1 Theatre, Homer's Community Theatre, supporting community voices. Schedules and information on Pier 1 Productions at 226-2287 and pier one org. a.m. and I'm Kathleen Gustafson, and you are tuned to the Coffee Table. This morning on the Coffee Table, a fresh new candidate for Alaska State House. Let's check your mic, Louis Flora. Do you read
1: me? Yes. Good morning. Can you hear me? All right.
0: I hear you just fine. And so, anyone in the community who has questions for Louis about his candidacy for State House, can call 907-235-7721. You can ask your question on the air, or Jimmy will be so happy to take your question down and send it into the studio if you don't want to go on air. Either way, you can call or email Kathleen at kbbi.org. So, Louis Flora, I do have one, two questions starting to stack up, but I would like for you, if you don't mind, to give a brief history of Louis Flora and then we'll go on and, and start taking questions because I know, I know that you are old Homer, but there are definitely people here who might not have met you yet. So introduce yourself, will you?
1: Yeah, well, thank you. I'm Louis Flora, and I was uh, born in Fairbanks in 1976 and uh, arrived at Homer against my will, brought by my parents. Uh, but I love it here. Um, we came down in 1978,
0: and um... so you were two, but you were you were protesting the <laughs> <No>. move. <laughs>
1: it's all good um we homesteaded or quote unquote homesteaded out east end road um at uh 17 16.5 mile when it was still a dirt road and went to school at paul banks at uh, mcneil canyon when they started that up and then went to junior high and graduated homer high in 1994. so i have been a lifelong bristol bay fisherman and done that as for uh, living in the summer since uh, early 80s and continue to do that today with my family, my kids, and wife is involved. And we're looking at a good year this year, pretty excited about getting everything ready. Um, my history in politics, though, began in the 2004 when I got involved with the legislative internship down in Juneau and then wound up getting a job in the legislature and stuck with that for 10 years as a staffer and committee staff. You were
0: staffed to Paul Seaton.
1: I was. I interned for Senator Kim Elton out of Juneau, and then I went to work for, for Rep. Seaton. and I worked for general, the general legislature as a committee staff for the House Resources Committee, the House Fisheries Committee, House Education Committee, and House State Affairs Committee. And that job is essentially to communicate the legislation that's in front of the committee to the committee members and to provide information to the public. So I have a pretty long background in in communications and providing um, information.
0: Also, it's hard with a, a new candidate for office to I can't ask you questions about your record, except I can ask you about Homer Electric Association. Is that are you still on the board?
1: Yes, yeah. District
0: Three Rep until 2024. Can you talk about, because I know that energy issues are of special, are very much of interest to you. And so can you talk a little bit about the board at HEA and decisions you may have participated in or the direction that you want to go?
1: Sure. Yeah. I got elected last May to the HEA board. It's a fun board. We're got a lot of good personality and a lot of uh, expertise on there. So. I would
0: not have guessed. I'm sure they're all very nice people, but I always think of it as this very dry, very detail oriented thing. But fun board, you say?
1: It's it's very fun and uh, you get exposure to quite a lot of different energy issues and decision points as far as the general direction of the how the utilities how the board wants the utility to go. We're of course not the subject matter experts and you leave that to the staff to do their job, but we provide general guidance. And so one of the areas that the board has worked on is the uh, goal of getting to 50% renewable energy by 2025. And we've upheld that, we voted, there was some discussion on modifying that goal, but we, we voted with the majority vote to maintain that goal a couple months ago. So that's something we're working diligently on, and it ties in a lot of different factors, like the independent power producers. The borough assembly just recently voted to provide a tax incentive for that economic development of independent power producers. And that would be something we'd be purchasing the power from the power producers. In this case, they were looking at Delta, or I'm sorry, uh, Sterling Area Wind. Um, or solar project but there's also a number of wind projects that we're studying and we got money through the capital budget uh, grant process through the Renewable Energy Fund to set up a number of wind studying stations in the Summit Lake area and the Kiski and the Nilchik, Caribou Hills area so there's a lot of different wind projects that we're going to be studying and potentially moving forward on in the future all to get to this goal of uh, reducing our dependence on the sole source contract for natural gas in Cook Inlet. Which
0: they say there's like five years left of supply. Do I have that right?
1: Well, there's there's plenty of supply. It's just the market for the okay. for the gas itself is stranded and there's not an expansion of the market. So for the company to look at long-term contracts, it's hard for them to see how it pays off for them to develop. Oh,
0: so it's not that we run out of supply. It's that they run out of Growth and profit?
1: Yes. I mean, without a, a substantial expansion of uh, industry down in the, in the peninsula or, you know, in the rail belt in general, they, they know the amount that they're contracted to supply for, for electricity generation and for thermal uh, natural gas. And so there's, that's a, not the most uh, expansion, expanding market right now.
0: Well, I know that if anyone has more specific questions, we will also be talking later about uh, more specifically about energy issues. But I do want to get to uh, the first questions in the queue. Uh, the first thing I want to say is that there's a, this is going to be a new crop in the legislature. 17 out of 60 members will be either leaving and not running for re-election. There are some, there are several where people were redistricting has caused two reps to be now in the same district instead of in different districts. So that kind of consolidates. But so the, the people who go in now, there won't be as much institutional memory. And I'm, I'm fine with that. I think that's a good thing. It just means that the people coming in need to be ready to get to work. So I want to get to the first question in the queue, which is just about the climate of the place, the cultural climate of the place. Uh, The question is, reads, negative partisanship is rampant at local, state, and national levels where opposing parties believe the general public or the government to be an enemy. Anti-democratic behavior runs high, often against the general public good, with little compromise. How do you plan to work with those that are opposed to compromise on party principle? And I I just want to, like, is there, how's that going to happen?
1: Well, that's a big and a loaded question. Yeah, take and your time. I, I think that the main issue with the new crop of legislators coming in is to have the time to get to know each other, to expect that you're not going to be getting done in 90 days because of the statutory requirement has put a kind of artificial limit on what the legislature is expected to, to do in a certain time frame and s- expecting that you're going to be down there for the constitutionally required 120 days, um, taking the time to analyze the issues in committee with different hearings on the departments and their functions, as well as focusing on bipartisan solution issues, issues that are going to not have a lot of cultural... Uh, freight to them. There's been a number of bills that passed this last session in a very divided legislature, and I think there was some good work done by the, you uh, know, bi- they passed on a bipartisan measure.
0: So what are some examples of places where the legislature did cooperate?
1: Well, for instance, broadband expansion. That's a huge de- deal for uh, especially rural Alaska and our district. And there's a lot of federal money that's come in through the Infrastructure and Investment Jobs Act that would expand broadband. There's almost a billion dollars, I believe, that's going to be coming in. And there was an office of broadband um, established in legislature to essentially be the be the housing place for that money and make the decisions on how the how the infrastructure money will be spent. But that was that enjoyed very broad support another bipartisan effort was the update of our outdated 40-year-old uh, Alaska sexual consent law and that was passed by broad support in both bodies and the tribal recognition issue has been something that's under discussion for a number of years and that ultimately and They finally passed. succeeded. They they passed it. It was also going to be likely a ballot proposition and so the legislature has the opportunity to when they when they certify it as a ballot proposition, the legislature has the period of the of the of the session to pass substantially similar legislation, and they did that with um, House Bill One Twenty Three by Rep. Tiffany Zolkowski.
0: That's a recognition of tribal sovereignty, but it's, what else?
1: It is to recognize it's to. It does not come with the same formal government-to-government government relations as we have with the federal government and tribes, but it would put in place a policy of the state that the state recognizes the 229 federally recognized tribes. And we have a the majority of federally recognized tribes in Alaska, so it's a big deal. And it was ultimately kind of held up in the Senate for for a while, but they managed to get it out of committee and pass it. And so that's another area that was largely bipartisan and is very helpful to a lot of the population that's a tribal member and wants to be on par with the state in, their, in deliberations and discussions.
0: Well, I thank you for examples of that, but I want to take it even to the beginning of the session. The legislature has a tough time even organizing themselves. It takes It has taken 30 days before, or more, I believe, one or two days more, to just meet each other and decide on leadership and figure out committees. And so I, I understand your point that there are places where people can compromise, but I also uh, get it, what the questioner is asking because it can take a solid 30 days out of that session to just decide who's doing what. So how what? do you know, do you know legislators? Do you have any re- uh, relationships with any of the current serving Yes, I,
1: I know a lot of the current legislators, and I think that what the question presents, though, is really the challenge of our time, and that's one of the reasons I'm uh, put my name in to run because I think that all of the candidates have a responsibility to look at bipartisan issues and it really attack this rampant partisanship, and I think that's part of the it's an intentional division that's been cultivated by mass media and by the outside organizations that really see an opportunity when you weaken the populace by sowing divisions. And it's really an intentional strategy to have the folks, to have the atmosphere in our state legislatures be such that that moderate people don't want to even get involved. And so that that's something we really need to attack and counter. And that's a reason that myself and a number of other legislator uh, candidates are running to make politics boring again.
0: <laughs> so if if you have questions for candidate Louis Flora, candidate for Alaska State House, you can call 907-235-7721. Or you can email your questions directly to Kathleen at kbbi.org, and it'll come up right here in the studio for me to read. I would like to uh, start down the road, for, for fisheries, there is um, there's a lot of topics here. I mean, uh, the economic, the exclusive economic zone uh, for Upper Cook Inlet drift fishermen. It's been two years now of trying to get bills out of committee to see whether or not that's gonna if they're gonna come back and fish again also uh hatcheries bycatch fisheries regulations but let's start because the legislature set funding for dock expansion in the port of harbor in this last session so can you give an overview of the topics in terms of fisheries and then we'll get more specific
1: Wow, that is a huge question. I know there's a lot there, but we've got 10 minutes. One one of the uh, issues that the legislature, you often come across some Anchorage lawmakers and interior lawmakers, and they want zero to do with commercial fishing discussions because it's just, it's so Byzantine often, and there's so many fractures and divisions that the bulk of the population doesn't understand or, or care about often. So that's the beauty of the House Fisheries Committee, which I was proud to Work for for four, for two sessions in Juneau and get to know a number of the of industry players. And plus, I have the background from growing up in the industry, so um, I'm trying to. Um,
0: well, let's start. Let me let me start with uh, the economic, the exclusive economic zone and the Upper Cook Inlet drift fisheries, because there were uh, members of Ushida who absolutely were petitioning our reps. To do something and help them so that they could fish, and that's been stalled for two sessions now.
1: Yeah, I I think that's one of the great tragedies is the Cook Inlet fishery and looking at the politics of it. And I don't believe this administration has the interests of the commercial commercial Cook Inlet commercial fishermen at heart. I think that when do you think
0: it's the do you think that this is the opinion is I look to the when I'm looking for the opposing opinion, I look at the Kenai Sport Fishing Association and see what their position is. And it's almost always in opposition to what the drift net fishermen want.
1: Yeah. And I would say, I mean, I'd hate to to name names, but... That's you, okay. I do that. When you have some extremely wealthy individual like Mr. Penny, who... That has, would be Bob Penny, listeners. Who's, who's spent, you know, it's been his cause for for decades to shut down the Commercial fisheries in Cook Inlet, and so he's a major contributor to this administration. So you can kind of get a sense of where things are lying internally with this administration, and and the current governor, when he was a state senator, there was you know often controversy because of his extreme push to interfere with uh, with uh, day-to-day management of the Cook Inlet commercial fisheries through putting pressure on you know making phone calls to management biologists, etc. So I think that we there is a way to counter the shutdown. And I, I know there's a lawsuit that's working its way through the courts. And if the if they're not able to fish in this industry, I, I mean, in the Cook Inlet, which has a long and uh, valuable heritage, I think that's going to be something the legislature will definitely need to intervene to um, to get going again.
0: Well, I have a question in my queue about bycatch. And I want to know, uh, the question is, what can the legislature even do? Is there anything that can be done to help reduce bycatch that is something that would fall un- that fall under your responsibility if you were elected?
1: Yeah, I think that there's been a lot of great work done by different uh, folks in the local community here. David Bays has, has really elevated the issue. Um, Eric Velsko is on the task force the governor set up. So there's a lot of young fishermen who are who are willing to fight for this issue. And even our borough mayor, Charlie Pierce, has a pretty strong platform in his um, gubernatorial run. He's running on it. Yeah, and so that to me is heartening, even though I think the current administration's task force is not set up to really take action on a lot of items. But But the very first thing is that the governor must appoint... You know, uh, have his appointments to the North Pacific Fisheries Management Council absolutely aligned on the bycatch issue, and present a solid front um, to counter, to put in place regulations that will increase observer coverage and decrease fishing zones and uh, impose uh, stricter caps on on those operators and sectors that are causing the most bycatch. But from a from a general legislative standpoint we don't have a lot of hooks on the federal level but i would like to see us investigate and move forward on a bycatch fee that we could attach to the landing tax and it would be tied to the the tied to the pounds the ex vessel value of the bycatch that's discarded and caught i mean because we're losing s- such an amazing or significant amount of revenue based on the amount of bycatch that's being uh, occurred in the in the trawl fisheries and so I think we need to look at the how much it's the x vessel value of that and and be able to capture that for the state and what we do with that money it could go to some kind of permanent fund for looking at projects that that deal with habitat restoration or uh, community development fund. I think there's just a lot of options we have, but we really need to it's such a gigantic lobby it's billions of dollars in the in the seattle-based trawl fishery and they can they have a power on par with the oil industry when it comes to dealing with congress and state legislatures so you
0: support you support observers or monitoring if not a a person observer monitoring on every boat
1: i would support a hundred percent bycatch observer coverage on the uh, bering sea and the gulf of alaska Aleutian Islands trawl fisheries.
0: Okay, and uh, the other thing that the ledge did this session was uh, take another step toward developing the port of Homer. Do you have some? Do you have some work on that, or have you studied on that at all? I don't know. Uh, I don't see anything in your position papers.
1: I I definitely support it, and I support the marine trades industry and Homer. I think that's one of the crown jewels of our of our growing economy. And it's been something that has been under study for uh, since 2004, I believe. And there's headway to be made on that, especially considering the amount of infrastructure money that the federal government has already allotted. There's competitive grants. I know we have the city of Homer's lobbyists are, are looking at the issue. And I, I fully support that project in whatever, I'd like to have make sure we have a lot of community input on the ultimate design and, and what happens with parking and with the different lots in the, in the expansion should it occur. But I think there's a, a lot of infrastructure money right now, and we really need to be extremely proactive in, at, at the city level and at the state level and looking for, for the money that's out there.
0: Okay, thanks for that. Anybody have any questions, you can email Kathleen at kbbi.org or call 907-235-7721, which brings me to, I got two questions on uh, the Permanent Fund Dividend, uh, writing the PFD into the Constitution. So that question was, do you support writing a specific PFD into the level of PFD into the Constitution? And, The other thing is we haven't even used, we have a formula for calculating the dividend. We haven't used it in seven years. So where are, what do you think should happen with, because everybody wants to know what should happen with the PFD. And uh, the other thing that at some point in this talk today, if we could make a distinction between the permanent fund, the permanent fund earnings reserve, and the dividend so that because the, uh, it took me a few years to understand that the that we were talking about different things when we talked about the earnings reserve so but first your position on what should happen with the permanent fund dividend if i i have some on your position oh, before you answer i'm looking at some positions of yours that i got is this available for anyone else
1: this will be up on my website.
0: I've been collecting your positions on things. And so I just want, so, and what is your website?
1: www.floraforhouse.com.
0: So the first line of your position on PFD is I support a full statutory PFD. But when we talk about a statutory PFD, wouldn't that mean following the formula, which we haven't done in years? Yes. Okay. So you talk now.
1: Yes, I think if they're, uh, it's, and on the other turn, if it's too hard for the legislature and the administration to allocate the funding for that, then the statute should be modified and the legislature should have a hard conversation about what level, you know, if it's indexed to different factors, uh, earnings or inflation, and I think we need to constitutionalize the right to a permanent fund at as high a level as the legislature can afford we but all, not
0: set a dollar limit.
1: I believe that we need to set a statutory limit and constitutionalize the right to a permanent fund. Got it. I believe we should constitutionalize the inflation proofing of the of the corpus itself in the by the setting draw limits on the earnings reserve account in order to protect the corpus. And the corpus is uh, yeah. The explain fo- to people what that means. <laughs> the permanent fund itself. The big the big golden goose, um, that's at 80, 82, I think almost $83 billion now in investment earnings in investments uh, ac- across the globe. And that was wisely created by our um, previous legislatures and Governor Hammond in the early 80s as a way to capture and retain our mineral wealth and keep us from having a big glut of money that we spend on a bunch of boondoggle projects, and then it all goes away and we're stuck uh, scrambling after the next big big boom with nothing to show for our, our efforts. And so we have this really fantastic resource in our 80, $82 billion permanent fund, which is spinning off earnings that are helping to, as a lar- one of the largest components of our government funding, and having, having that grow to $100 billion, I think, is something I would love to see the legislature do. And they can do that by, and the administrations can do that by ensuring that we don't have political interference in the decisions of the trustees who guide the investments of the permanent fund itself.
0: So it's going to be $3,200 with the energy credit, right, this year? Yes. But do you- so that's, I feel, anyway, whatever I feel or not, I just got a text. So apparently you can text me too with questions if you've got my number. Uh, say, you just said constitutionalize twice. So do you support a constitutional convention? No. And why not?
1: Because the state would sink under the weight of lobbyists from outside Alaska if we opened up our state constitution. And it's there's so many areas that different interest groups want to see changed in our fundamental legal document to create different outcomes for the state that it's you can't even um, imagine how many different areas it would be under attack and so right now with well, the,
0: the constitutional right to privacy would immediately be under attack yep so that things like uh people who wish to make abortion outlaw, uh, outlaw abortion would be able to do so right now the State Supreme Court decided years ago that that went to our constitutional right to privacy. But it's not just, uh, it isn't just abortion that the constitutional right to privacy protects. There's also, I saw in your posi- uh, position papers, uh, data collection. And that's something with, uh, that you agree with Governor Dunleavy on because of, let me see if I can find it. Well, you know.
1: The Data Data Privacy Act. The
0: Data Privacy Act.
1: Yeah. And that, I was talking to a gentleman out in Anchor Point the other day, and he actually had the exact same line I did. And it was, you know, you don't let someone go and get, go through your mail. Citizens can't go to other people's mailboxes and look at their mail. So why is it that big tech companies can come and mine through your emails and your personal data for their own benefit and for financial gain? So they're, it would be um, incumbent on the legislature and the administration to pass some form of Consumer Data Privacy Act to protect, protect us from, as much as, as legally possible, from, from having our, our personal data um, used to...
0: inspected and monetized? Yes, exactly. <laughs> so Kristen, I believe, is on line one. Kristen, are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead, Kristen. Um, I'm wondering about the stamps on outside money and dark money in our elections in this state. Oh, good, good, good. Thank you for bringing campaign finance up. Because two weeks ago, the legislature tried to restore donation limits on state elections. It was at $500 a person. There was a proposal to cap it at $2,000 a person. But the governor let that go and said he doesn't care. You can give a million dollars. As long as you disclose. So, Louis Flora, candidate for State House, can you address Kristen's concern?
1: Yeah, I think that the legislature really put us in a perilous state by not passing individual contribution limits. And the proposal that they had before them was a $2,000 limit. Uh, Citizen Initiative established a $500 limit, and that was struck down by the uh, Ninth Circuit Court. And it was failed to be appealed by the Dunleavy administration. And so the Alaska Public Offices Commission established a temporary rule of $1,500 for a limit for individuals inside and outside of Alaska. And then they subsequently rescinded that, saying that it was the legislature's job to come up with the limit, which it is the legislature's job. And it makes it very hard, though, when the legislature is running in a election year and the governor's doesn't want to see limits in an election year. So now we have a real Wild West scenario. And unfortunately, I think the only way that we're going to get back to limits is going to be through a citizens initiative because the divisions in the legislature right now and the lack of, of willingness for lawmakers to put limits on themselves is going to require that the state of Alaska citizens step in and make changes. And I think they've done that. They've made changes through the different through initiative, through the Ranked Choice Voting Initiative, and the previously the Automatic Voter Registration Initiative. And so all the uh, electoral and campaign finance laws do have a place in their uh, direct democracy and coming through a ballot proposition. And that's not to really shirk the responsibility of the legislature, but that's just what the reality has seemed to have been the last number of years.
0: So that was uh, also you have you would have an ally in the in the House already, Representative Schrage or Shrage, Shraggy. Shragi. Thank you for that pronunciation. He tried to cap at two thousand, but uh, Senator Shower wouldn't let it out of State Affairs Committee, and so it just it was sunk. He's also proposing that he's going to for put forward a citizens' initiative or at least facilitate a citizens' initiative. For such a thing,
1: yeah, I mean it's really dangerous when you have the ability for an outside billionaire to finance multiple elections in the state legislature and create that amount of undue influence on our state politics. And so we really, really, really need to put some reins on this um, this problem.
0: Okay, thanks for that. If you have any questions for Louis Flora, candidate for Alaska State House then you can call 235-7721 that's 907-235-7721 or email your questions to Kathleen at kbbi.org now we've talked about the uh, we've talked about the dividend but there is a there's kind of a triangle that I imagine sometimes when thinking about everything that's going on in the legislature there's the dividend there're taxes and then there are oil tax credits so I would like to know your position on the oil tax credits that the state hands out every year.
1: When the process went into place for the deductible uh, oil tax credits, that was under Senate Bill uh, 21 in 2013. And that was really political hardball. That, so it was um, When you see the oil industry play hardball, sometimes you feel like you're batting with a, a Nerf bat in the legislature because there's um, such extreme consequences from, from the, re- I, I view it as a retribution for the previous tax scheme, which under the Sarah Palin, which was the Alaska clear and equitable share, which had a progressive element and allowed us to capture the high, the upside of the oil prices in the 2008 and 2009 and 10 and create a surplus of billions of dollars for the state of Alaska, but then. Through elections, there was a change in leadership and a more friendly industry. Not that the legislature is ever unfriendly. We obviously honor and understand the um, vital role that the oil industry plays in Alaska. But I think there was a, a general will to change the oil tax structure, and I view it as punitive. And what it's left us with, with the Senate Bill 21, oil tax deductible, Oil tax credit scheme is we have a figure from the amount of revenue from uh, 2007 to 2013, production tax revenue after credits we had twenty eight billion dollars 2007 to 2013 then passage of Senate bill 21 in 2014. and between 2015 and 2021 we have 1.3 billion. So that's a that's a pretty significant decrease in production tax revenue. So we were promised a lot of things. When Senate bill 21 went into place, we were promised more production and more jobs and more investment on the North slope. And guess what? None of that happened. We saw an actual decrease of all the, of all those factors of employment. We were down by almost half from where we were pre SB 21 and capital investment has dropped significantly and the production itself has dropped um, pretty pretty significantly so i think that that's something for all uh, for all of our discussions on fiscal plans and on broad-based taxes and on the permanent fund dividend we need to address the oil tax credit issue the deduct- deductible tax credits where we're hemorrhaging money through the system that was initially designed to incentivize activity or how it was sold but it was essentially it's we're paying the uh, companies tax credits to do the development that they already have pre-planned in their long-term investment planning and we're just getting robbed blind and we can't have a serious discussion on our fiscal solution for the state and without having um, that dealt with because you can't really pass the red face test if you're say Telling uh, Alaskans they have to pay an income tax when at the same turn we're we're paying out billions of dollars in in deductible tax credits.
0: Well, I, I don't know very many legislators who are truly capable of embarrassment, but the red so the red face desk doesn't really work very often. But hey, Gordy is on the line, I think. Hey Gordy, are you there? Yes, I am. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, hey, I'd like some sort
0: of comment on Alaska Import Export Development Authority. To me, it seems like it's a slush fund for unpopular projects that wouldn't pass the legislature for the governor to do an end run around that. So, Louis, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think there was a couple bills this year that dealt with ADA, or the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. And one of them was by Rep. Andy Josephson, and it would have put some public process guidelines on the deliberations of the ADA board. And one of the real frustrations has been that they have the, like you say, kind of a governor's slush fund of money. And there's not a lot of political insulation between the board of ADA and the, the administration. And there's also not a lot of public process. And they go into executive committee, and it's like a black hole where big, huge investment decisions are are made without a great deal of public input. And so we have issues like the Ambler... Um, development Road and and other projects that Ada is in charge of. But overall, Ada should be, in my mind, should be working to incentivize um, g- renewable energy development to as much um, capacity as is possible and other um, economic development projects in Alaska that are going to be benefiting Alaskans specifically and not to the benefit of large um, generally outside or foreign corporations. So that, but, but anyway, the Rep, Rep Josephson's bill would have put a lot of different guidelines on, on how they deliberate. And I think that's something I'd like to see in the future. Another thing that was put forward by the governor was a gr- concept of a green bank within the uh, Alaska industrial development and export authority. And that would be a housing or a, an entity that would, cr- uh, create, uh, clean energy investment financing opportunities. And that was a good, that's a positive development. But no one trusts uh, ADA to handle that. And so that's been the problem. But it does need to come back. The Green Bank concept will likely come back in uh, next legislature, potentially housed in a different uh, agency.
0: And Gordy, do you feel like that addressed your concern and answered your question?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot.
0: Okay, thanks a lot. Anything else you want to say on that subject before I I uh, circle back to some other stuff? Last call for questions in the next say 10 minutes. You can call 907-235-7721 or email your questions to Kathleen at kbbi.org and it'll come pop up right here in the studio. We still have there's about 20 minutes left. Uh, I, we still have not uh, broached the subjects of education funding or health care, so I, I would like to, unless you have anything else you'd like to say on that subject, are you ready to move on?
1: Let's move on. I can, I mean, we could talk all day.
0: Yes. Uh, so before we do, where can people meet you and talk all day with you? Because we've got 20 minutes and I'm ready to use it all, uh, but well, where? how can people reach out? and <clears throat>
1: I'll be at the back of uh, Northern Enterprises Boatyard for the next uh, two weeks, getting my uh, refrigerated seawater unit in the back of my boat. Okay. And then I'll be at as many community meetings um, and forums as I can before I head out to Bristol Bay. And then after that, in, when I get back in late July, I'll have a campaign office and we will um, have office hours. And I'm always willing to meet anyone uh, and meet uh, at the coffee shop or at their house. And so you just have to reach out my number 907-717-9602. It's on my website and you can get a hold of me via my website as well. uh, Louie at Floraforhouse.com.
0: Yeah, we could spend an hour alone just talking about the nexus of climate change, fisheries, and renewable energy. But I do want to move on to education funding. Uh, I was checking, Larry personally did the math, I did not. There was a uh, a one half of one percent increase to funding that will take place in the 2023 to 24 year, but also there was a a one time appropriation this uh, this legislative session to increase uh, funding by about 57 million dollars. Uh, but I want to know uh, what your plan is and what I've because I've got some stuff in front of me here but i want to hear about education reform or forward funding of the base student allocation what are some of the what is, what's your what are your ideas in the legislature about education funding
1: i think that the forward funding they were arrived at this year was a, indicative of how things are going with the debate between the permanent fund dividend and education that funding it was a slog yeah <laughs> and so the, every year there's there's a tension between the permanent fund dividend and issues like education. And I think we need to get beyond that. I think we need to come up with a workable formula for the dividend that takes it off the table, and we need to deal with oil tax credits, and we need to look at our budget and realize that that for the future of Alaska, having a robust education system that draws young parents up here that, with kids that, and they wanna stay in Alaska, is going to be vital to our economy in the future. And so I'm, I fully support forward funding of education to create stability within the system. I mean, we have teachers after the, the awful um, drama of the COVID years. We, I think it wore a lot of teachers down, and we've seen a lot of local teachers heading out to other places. And I really think that having the ability to attract and retain teachers through stability and, and forward funding so they're not getting laid off every um, e- e- end of every school year will, will help right. with and that. And
0: just so that the people who are spending that money know how much money they have to spend. And that's, what, that's what that's all about. When teachers get laid off at the end of the school year, it's because they don't know how much money they're going to get and whether or not they can bring people back. Oh, here's a question uh, to Kathleen at kbbi.org or actually that was my text. Uh, do you have a plan to make housing more affordable? Uh, I guess my question to tack onto that is, how much can the, can government actually do to make housing more affordable? It's certainly an issue.
1: Yeah, definitely. I've heard this um, all along the campaign trail uh, in the last couple months and how, how giant of an issue it is to get housing for workers. And we have workers that are coming to some of the service industry businesses and they have to live up and as far away as the nilchik or further and i think that the we need to establish a uh, task force community-wide and come up with different solutions i think the role of the state government there there is likely a role Uh, we have the alaska housing finance corporation we have other agencies within the state that look at labor issues and i i think that we come we need to come come up with a Combined solution that incorporates the input of the city and the borough and the state government and employers and the Chamber of Commerce and other, other organizations to, to look at what solutions are out there.
0: Hey, here comes one from Therese. A question, where can people get your yard sign? I guess it's time to talk about your website. Just one more time. Let her know where a person can get.
1: Um, www.floraforhouse.com is my website, and we have yard signs, and we, um, if you want to just shoot me a message uh, through my website, I will be happy to get you one.
0: Okay, Suzanne is online. one. Suzanne, go ahead. Hi, I'm just wondering if we'll get a chance to listen to a discussion between you and Ms. Vance one of these days. Well, I'll, I'll direct that to Louie in just a second, but Lou, you have a primary challenger. Right, so the primary being August 16th, although it's going to come up to uh, rank choice voting
1: uh, top four. the top four top right. four, pick one on August 16th.
0: That's and your opponent there is well, there'll be Ginger Bryant who has filed for candidacy. Uh, she's an independent from Homer, and then also uh, representative Vance are do you have do you have plans to? Meet and have a discussion with representative Vance
1: Oh, definitely, yeah, I think the Chamber of Commerce will set aside some time during their um, meeting schedule to have a, a candidate forum, and there'll be other opportunities, and I fully anticipate that we'll have a robust discussion moving forward i I'm willing to meet uh, any at any forum generally, so and we were both uh, at the Memorial Day ceremony for it uh, up in Anilchik on Memorial Day and got to meet with the members of the Legion there and enjoy a community lunch so I I really want to have this I know there's a lot of um, different feelings in the community and I really want to see how we can make a positive campaign and uh, uh, of course a lot of the The problem is that a candidate can intend to have the most positive of a campaign, but we have these uh, entities that make independent expenditures on behalf of, but not coordinated with, the candidate. Can you give an example uh, of that? Or well, that's where dark money and Citizens United comes in, and so there's the unlimited spending um, and dark money spending, and the candidate until
0: the Supreme Court changes their mind that money is speech. What what can you do?
1: And the candidate really has no legal recourse to challenge or or manage how that independent expenditure is made on their behalf. And so we'll probably see some, I mean, it's become kind of par for the course to see these entities create glossy flyers and stuff that attack the other opponent. So, but for myself, for my campaign, we're going to be running a positive one. Um, We both, we all have kids in the schools here. And, you know, we're local members of the community and I bear no ill will towards anyone. So I, I want to make sure that's clear.
0: And Suzanne, do you feel like that addressed your question? Yep. OK, Thank thanks. You. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, speaking of which, you know, today, this very day is the deadline to file for candidacy. If anyone is listening and thinking, I could take that guy on, I could beat that guy or just I'd like to add to this conversation, and I have something because uh, I am looking if, I am looking forward to the exchange of ideas that's that's coming over the next couple of months, uh, hoping to get Ginger Bryant on here for the same uh, to have an hour in the same way that you do, but then also I would, as the as Suzanne, the caller was talking about, it does make a difference to get everybody together, sharing ideas at the same table. So I'm, I'm hoping that will happen real soon. But today is the deadline to file for candidacy for the state house uh, seat today at 5 p.m. in case you want to get in on it. Um, the primary is August 16th, and then the general election is on November 8th. And so there's a filing deadline, June 1st. I'm trying to, oh. Let me look into that. My notes are all over the place. But just to let people know that there is a whole lot going on and you can be a part of it. Now,
1: it's going to be a very busy primary ballot. as And, so I and encourage, it's so new. I encourage everyone not to, to be patient with themselves and with the new process um, and not get overwhelmed because there's going to be the with the special rank choice general election will occur for the special election to for the remaining uh, months of the open seat for the, uh, for the congressional seat vacated by Don Young in his passing and then there's also going to be the the pick one primary for the full term of the congressional seat and there's going to be a pick one primary for governor and for legislature so you'll 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 need to just Take a couple breaths before you go into the voting booth, and
0: I have been relying very heavily on the organization Kenai Peninsula Votes. Yes, they have they have it all played out, and in fact, there are many there are things that they're putting out uh, seminars or uh, at the library on a weekly basis, and so Kenai Peninsula Votes is a great place to go. I think they have a Facebook page. I know they have a Facebook page. I think they also, if you're not on Facebook, have other ways to, uh, to get their information. And I would, I would strongly recommend that anybody check out Kenai Peninsula Votes because it's, they have some really helpful stuff. Things, you know, that'll go in your refrigerator with all the dates and everything that's happening broken down. Here's another question to Kathleen at kbbi.org. Um... Oh, we hear a third of the legislators are retiring. Is that a huge amount? We talked a little bit about that at the top of the hour. But uh it it's a lot.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a significant amount of of retirements in in one cycle. But it also opens, I mean, I don't know, it's springtime in Alaska, you know, it opens up new opportunities to hear from from new people. I know of a lot of I take heart in, in a lot of the candidates that have filed so far. I know a, a great number of them, and I think that there's going to be a really excellent crop of of experienced in uh, legislative matters of candidates that, are, that already will be able to hit the ground running. So I'm not despairing at all.
0: Well, the last uh, topic that I have on my list is health care, and I see in your position paper that you are specifically talking a little bit about the cost of insulin and that that is something the legislature could actually do to reduce costs to people who need insulin is cap how much you can pay for it well can you cap how much people pay for all their prescription drugs
1: that would be something that would be really uh, behoove the legislature to tackle because it I'd drives do that in 90 days it, it, it drives <laughs> so much of the of the problems with the ex- expensiveness of the retirement system, and and just in general how people's home economics are, are dealt with. I mean, if you have a uh, you're living on the knife's edge where you're going to go bankrupt, and um, you're it's going to affect your business and everything. If you have a big hospital bill, that's really no way to uh, for for us to to live. I don't think it, just living with that fear of of what it's gonna to do to your home economics. And so the, I would love to, for the legislature to work as much as in their ability to either cap or, or see what they can do for, for price reduction for delivery. I mean, we have the highest, as I'm uh, learning more about it, I mean, we have some of the highest healthcare delivery costs in the nation. And we also have a, a whole slew of superlatives around uh, drug and alcohol abuse and sexual assault
0: Superlatives and, is an odd choice of words, but I know what you mean.
1: Uh, superlatives being the <laughs> highest, the biggest, the largest in the nation. Um, we just had the highest increase of drug overdose deaths in the nation last year. If um, our
0: domestic violence numbers were cut by half, we would still be have the highest incidence of domestic violence in the country.
1: Yeah, we, we really have... I mean, We have a lot of needs. We have a, a despairing population to a degree, and, and we need to Come together and focus on community-based solutions and state-level solutions. Um, issues like the if, if we do have the highest drug overdose rate, why isn't Narcan, you know, readily available? Why? Why? How do people find that? And so, I'd like to have the the city and the state work together on getting more of that available to folks in need.
0: The other part of that is that is training for medical professionals, and the um uh, the state of Alaska has cut the college system so harshly that I wonder if that can continue. Can we continue to train nurses and EMTs and help get people who want those jobs into the system into the into employment?
1: I think that there, I'm a member of the community Ketchmek Bay Campus Community Advisory Board, and we've had a presentation on the EMT, training facility up in Kenai and that is just an amazing facility that they have up there and they're doing great work. And so that you're right. I mean, we could add, they, they likely do have that as a component, but their funding levels need to be stable and increased for the, for the campuses. And those are really important to the stability and the healthcare delivery of our, of our local area, having well-funded EMT training and their nurses programs. So those are those it's all it's all inter t- intertied with the local local health care is intertied to the health of our local campuses and our university system as well as our um, pre-k um, pre-k programs for for children we have some pretty bad um, I think we're 43rd in the nation on child well-being and so we really need to focus on on that aspect as well as you know at the early and
0: that's all like are children healthy? Are they fed? Do they have child... Is their child care available for them? A lot of things go into making that number.
1: Trauma in the home.
0: Trauma in the home. Uh, we have come to pretty much the end of this hour. So thanks to everyone who wrote, emailed, texted, or called with questions. Thanks to Louis Flora, candidate for Alaska State House. Uh, Louis, is there anything you'd like to close with? Anything you'd like to say in closing?
1: Just be sure to vote. I mean, don't. I've I've heard a lot of people on the campaign trail talk about the confusion they have with the new voting system and kind of throwing their hands up. And then we had all the BS on on voter fraud uh, in the last election. And the very worst outcome is if people don't vote. You got to keep. You got to keep positive, and you got to. This civic uh, your civic duty is um, very important. And so I just want to make sure whoever you vote for you, you go ahead and do that and make a plan to do it. So thank you very much. Well,
0: I do. Now that you've said BS on voter fraud, I feel that I need I should follow up with that. uh, Because do you feel if you feel that voter fraud is something other than like, are people being dishonest when they claim voter fraud?
1: What we need is uh, more accountability um, at the other end. We need ballot curing, and so people don't feel like they're sending their ballot into the ether, and when they have a by-mail vote like this, they need the ability to, if if there's some witness requirement they didn't sign, that they have the opportunity to cure that ballot or to fix it and to have their vote count. And I think a lot of fear has uh, around mail-in voting has been also linked to kind of confusion around what the requirements are for having your vote count. And voter fraud is, um, you know, not, was not found in the last election, and I would love to have a conversation with anyone that said it was.
0: Great. Thanks. That's Louis Flora, uh, candidate for Alaska Statehouse. There is a primary coming August 16th. The general election is November 8th. Thanks to Louis Flora and to everyone who called. I'm Kathleen Gustafson, and this has been The Coffee Table. I'll be back shortly with a little weather update.